0: So how are we all feeling this week? Oh,
1: well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a it's been rough on a lot of fronts, even outside of the political spectrum, just on every front right now. <laughs> so, well, when it rains it pours
2: and I think right now everybody's under an immense amount of stress uh because of the socio-political yeah. position our country is in and then of course all the pressure that puts on us individually. I mean, People are stressed. A lot of a lot of things aren't coming together the way that they could be. And uh, it makes Mm -hmm. just basic day to day hard. It's hard to focus. It's hard to do anything. If you're out there listening to this right now, I guess all I can really say is, you know, it's okay that it's hard. Like, I know for my part, I feel like, damn, I should be a lot more productive. I should be doing more with my time. Got all this downtime here. And if you can't focus, if you can't get it together hey, you know, that's that's life. Like, it's okay to give it's yourself okay. a little space.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really important to remember that you're not a superhero. You're just a normal person. Welcome to normal people. I'm James Treacle here in Austin, Texas.
2: I'm Hans Yeager here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I am Ben Grimes, also in Austin,
0: Texas. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be, I mean, honestly, we're basically just going to be sort of taking the temperature of current events. I mean, we we are talking about, Um, the protests and, you know, the reason why they're happening and, you know, uh, why it is important for us to be engaged in what is happening, regardless of your racial or ethnic identity, your economic background, we're all Americans. We all have skin in the game because this system is designed to serve the people. And when it's failing some of the people, it's failing all of the people by definition. Um, and so we we want to get into it, um, hopefully, with a little bit more clarity. We we recorded a, an episode um, a couple weeks ago, and it was just beginning to happen, and we were all very, I think, very emotionally compromised by what was happening. And We wanted to be able to kind of take a step back and take a breath and maybe take stock of things as they're unfolding and hopefully come in with a little bit more insight now that things have developed. Um, because we want to be able to add something useful to this conversation, even though we are not experts, we're just normal people. But, um, I, I think that it's important for all of us to, to play our part, uh, even if it's just adding voices of support to those who are on the front lines of this, um, and who are most affected by it. I mean, we are, you know, um, four white guys this, this week, just three, uh, Adam is, um, tangled up with work. We're still Americans and uh, we we care about what happens, and most importantly, we're human beings. We care about you know the the way that police uh, this law enforcement system, which is supposed to protect people and serve people, is being weaponized against our fellow human beings, against our fellow Americans. Um, and uh, we all recognize that it needs to stop. And we recognize that even though things right now are scary because of the uh, ongoing pandemic and they're uncertain because of the economy. Um, there's no time like the present. We we need to get this stuff done, and, and I think the pressure is working. I, I've been I've actually been really encouraged over the past couple of weeks. I was worried that this would kind of lead to you know just a lot of anger as we saw riots and, and destruction. You know, kind of unfurling as this thing is sort of you know grows and kind of takes on a life of its own. But the the leverage, the pressure, really is moving the needle, and you know uh, we can't we can't let up now. We got to keep going.
2: Yeah, I mean, not for nothing, uh, we've seen uh, very recently, in fact, uh, military posts that for a while had tolerated it, like uh, the Marine Corps, um, and I believe the Navy now, uh, I would have to double check that, yes. and, um, yes. yeah. have now banned uh, the display of Confederate fa- flags on post, which, I mean, mm-hmm. dear God, why did it take this long, people? I mean, right? Uh, it's, it's like, we had a war about did. this, it was a whole thing, uh, but right you know, it's good to see that stuff. I think a bit more impressively even was NASCAR doing the same, um, yes. banning that uh, display at their events, which is is massive. I think the the needle is moving. And I mean, yes, there are some displays like banning stuff like that is not the same as, as stopping the violence. It's not the same as stopping the, the murder of, of innocent black people in the streets uh, who are struggling with all this police profiling, with all the uh, racism that is really endemic, that's ingrained into this um, criminal justice infrastructure. Um, Like, but those things still do matter. It it still is like, I would never have dreamed say a year ago, even a month ago, that we would be at a point where we'd be taking this kind of of drastic action, and I think um, there's real hope here that this isn't just going to go away, that People aren't going to let up until real good has been done that we've really kind of of changed things. And we'll get into that a little bit as we go in this episode, because there's some debate as to how to approach that. I know for my part, uh, when we attempted to record this uh, before, uh, my perspective for a very long time with regards to the police um, has been that participation yields a certain kind of power, that there is a way to fix these institutions and um, that I I see it as a flaw of of white American liberalism, uh, this kind of ivory tower mindset that we um, we don't participate in these institutions and that in turn makes them easier to be uh, co-opted and infiltrated by bad actors, by white supremacists. And so when you wake up one day, it's like, oh, God, all, it's all white supremacists now. That's how you get there. Having said that, I think especially in light of what's happened, that's definitely not my perspective now. I think that like, hey, you know what, if if you want to do some good, um, you're going to be a drop in the bucket if you join the police right now to try to shift that boat. Like we need a real, uh, real infrastructural change. And that's not going to be like one a trickle of one dude at a time trying to jump in and help because we've seen that, um, you know police officers who do try to speak out are, are shut down we've seen that um there is pressure internal pressure from police unions and from your peers in in those agencies to tolerate uh the abuses that that are ongoing and the only way to stop that i believe now is external solutions um like we've got to um and we'll talk about like defund the police uh, a little bit later but um my my perspective on that has definitely changed a lot. Like I've always believed change has to happen, but um, I think uh, I've certainly I don't want to say radicalized on that, but my my perspective has
1: shifted quite a bit. There is there's a lot happening right now. And the shifts that we're seeing now, again, Ben as you said, a year ago, a month ago, wouldn't have seen any of this coming. Uh And I'm happy to see that it is happening. I know at least here in Indiana, they're starting to see there's um, a Confederate monument downtown that's been taken down already. And we're starting to see some real changes in places that is fairly unlikely. You know, it's not got to say Indiana's never been the central of liberalism or anything of the sort. So to see any kind of change like that happening is kind of a big deal. But Simultaneously, my concern that I keep coming back to is that we are now starting to see some reform coming from on high. We're starting to see the Democrats already have their uh, policing bill coming out. Um, I've only read so much into it. I haven't had enough time because, man, our news story is hitting fast at the moment. But uh, I haven't had enough time to actually get into what the bill has to say. But. I do like some of the headlines around it, sure, cracking down on excessive force and trying to implement some of the eight can't wait stuff. And I think that that is a really positive direction to start heading in. But the problems we have are so ingrained in the institution of policing that this isn't going to be enough. That's my big concern. Absolutely, That this isn't going to be anywhere near enough. You know, I know Bernie Sanders has weighed in on the issue as well and talked about essentially start taking away some of the responsibilities that police officers actually have right now and start bringing in people who are professionally who are qualified to deal with those some of the big ones being addiction counseling which i think holy crap that alone would be a massive step if we took that out of the purview of the police and into the hands of actual addictions counselors and then also taking out mental health again another massive step in the right direction I know that this bill right now as far as I know I haven't heard anything about that in there but I think both of those two things it need to happen now it's it, they're the kind of things that just can't wait you know you you talk about one of the main reasons that people of color are imprisoned it is specifically through excessive policing. Around drugs where very, very minor offenses suddenly carry incredibly heavy penalties around having a little bit of weed, where nowadays so much of that weed funds our current economy, so much of it is making certain states incredibly rich, but yet it is still policed in heavily black areas, far more, and those people that are in prison right now for that, nothing's happening with those people. they're still stuck in prison,
2: yeah, I think for my part, um I really don't think a Can't wait. It's going to cut it at all. Um, This is a proposal that like here we've seen over the span of the last week, just this absolute disregard for um, protocols and rules on the part of law enforcement. It is a tantrum. They are lashing out and just horrific violence against protesters. Uh, Like, you know, however much uh, conservative media talking heads might want to frame this as a, a proportionate response to rioting it is not. There are mountains and mountains of video evidence on the internet right now of peaceful protesters being gassed, being shot for no reason, unprovoked, being beaten with batons. Um, There's that video, uh, now infamous video, because the president has weighed in on it, of of the old man being pushed down by Buffalo police. And, you know, he's bleeding out of his head, you know, on camera, and everybody's just walking, walking right by him. Like, I guess protect and serve doesn't help. Uh, doesn't cover 75 year old men who are, are bleeding out of their heads on the street. Like it is, it is brutal. And I think that we are not going to get the police to behave. We are not going to fix this by giving them more rules to ignore. Um, this is going to take something more comprehensive uh, to kind of loop back into um, what you were talking about, uh, Hans, with some of those other proposals, like uh, with mm-hmm. some of what Sanders had said and some, some of what many um, black activists right now in the black lives matter movement have been saying is that um, the role of the police um, has kind of become this warped uh, thing that's, that's they, they have too many hats and they've been given all this power over situations they really should not have. And I agree with that, absolutely. I think that, uh, like mental health, for example, like you mentioned, uh, there are people out there who, um, th- there are people who have died uh, because the police are not adequately trained to handle uh, mental health situations. They they don't have the awareness uh, they're not social workers. They don't know how to engage with with people. And when they encounter somebody who is not neurotypical, who is um, uh, not receptive to certain commands or sounds, and they open fire, like it, it's horrific tragedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's happened time and time again, and it's inexcusable. I I think that uh, is something that should never have been placed with the police in the first place. So um, right now, especially on social media, uh, there has been a, a popular trend to to say defund the police. And I think um, it's easy to be dismissive of that up front because it's like, well, what a, what about what do we do without the police? You know, like if we have laws, we're going to have some kind of law enforcement. Defund the police isn't about getting rid of that. It's about changing the shape of it. Now, um, I know uh, James probably has some good perspective on marketing here because he he works with that. Um, but I and I do think that being able to market your ideas um, does matter. Uh, because the approach, like you have to sell people on this, you know, we have to convince everybody that this is the right path. And I I think that it is the right path. Uh, having said that, I'm not here to tone police the people who are standing behind this movement either. Uh, they have every right to be mad. And I honestly don't see anything wrong with that framing myself either. I think there's room for strategy and nuance. And I think there's, there's room for that, uh, that honest fire too. And, um, so when they say defund the police, it's about essentially restructuring. Like, hey, you know, we have these bloated budgets, like uh, all that money should be reinvested into the communities. It should be reinvested into um, the people that live there, because that's how you reduce crime. Uh, That's how you like the best, the surest way to fight it um, is to um, invest in the community first. And so that's largely what it's about. We're still going to have some kind of law enforcement, folks. It's just that the shape of that has to fundamentally change because it's not just the cops right now. It's the criminal justice system behind them.
0: <clears throat> exactly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to, uh, to say about all of that. And I think you're, you're, uh, you're spot on, Ben. I mean, I, I, I will say, go ahead and, uh, you know, address the, the point about defund the police. The reason why I think it's not necessarily very good branding is not because I disagree with it. I, I, I agree with it emphatically. I want to make that clear, uh, right off the, right off the top. Uh but the the thing that doesn't really work about it is that it requires you to kind of read a just dis- a disclaimer. Uh that's just bad marketing. You know, a, a good example of a slogan of a brand that doesn't require additional explanation unless you're an asshole is Black Lives Matter. Well, it's a self-evident thing if you believe in the value of human lives then black lives would in fact matter, would they not? So that is, you don't have to write a dissertation to explain what you mean by it. Defund the police in the in our cultural context, it, it's kind of scratching at an itch that we need to address. It's very, very important that we address it, but there's a reason why to most people, it gives them a little bit of pause. So the moderates and conservatives in particular, but not only them. So if we want to get at than the the sources of of criminal behavior of an unsafe environment we need to attack things like poverty right instead of attacking people, people who are impoverished and then do bad things right like start you know i don't know engaging in gang violence and take a very stereotypical example right Is like the thing that pops into everybody's head because of all the national narratives that we've had around inner cities and the black community and violence all this bullshit stereotyping right Well, that's where people's heads are going to go. What do you do about the gangs? Okay. Well, if you want to prevent an, uh, an environment in which people feel like that's what they have to do in order to survive, you put money in their hands. We know this. We know this. You provide education. You provide access to capital. You help them become independently wealthy. Those are the things that eliminate crime. Right, that eliminate violent crime of the kind of scale that requires a larger police force in order to address. If you deal with the systemic causes, the environmental causes as well, um, such as housing insecurity, uh, food insecurity, uh, basically any kind of economic insecurity is going to breed the desperation that leads to crime. And we can address those things without having to spend a dollar on law enforcement. And that's why defund the police is spiritually correct, even if I think it can be framed a little bit better. Um, But that really gets to uh, the point I'd like to make is that the problem with law enforcement in our country and with the criminal justice system in general is that it's based on a, a flawed, outmoded view of human nature. Because one of the things that you see people say is that, well, the problem with the police is that they they dehumanize, in particular, black people, and that's why they're behaving this way. Uh, here's the complicated thing to understand. That's not actually what they're doing. It's not dehumanization that's the problem. The problem is this puritanical view of humanity as being lawless and dangerous by default. So the problem is, is that they view people that are outside of this civilized zone, right? Which to them is because of the cultural biases, white people, they view white people as being, having been kind of tamed by civilization, right? They're kind of within this in-group in which their, their human nature is constrained and contained, right? Whereas the problem with all these other groups, whether they're, they're poor rednecks, or uh you know white people or or um, or inner city black people or whatever out group that they designate the problem with quote unquote those people is that they're outside of the civilizing influences they are too human they need to be punished to be kept in check to keep their humanity from spilling over and creating uh chaos unleashing chaos but this isn't true human beings are not these you know, vicious creatures by default that will just, you know, absent some kind of boot on their throat, treat each other terribly. That's not true. People are cooperative. People are pro-social. People spend the majority of their mental energy, this is true on a neurological level, worrying about what other people think, trying to make nice, trying to uh, fit in because those are the ways in which we find security and so we have created this model of human nature which is uh not based on the kind of creature that we really are and that is informing the way that our system operates it it's kind of like we have this original sin kind of model that people are just this sinful depraved nasty thing that has to be kept in forceful check And if instead that we embrace a positive view of human nature and recognize that if we eliminate the incentives for bad behavior, that the majority of bad behavior will disappear. And that doesn't mean that people won't break laws because they do. People still have a tendency to do bad things, but that's not the fundamental human nature. It's not the thing that overrides all else absent some kind of civilizing force. That's that's this outmoded view, which is no longer supported by science and our culture hasn't adapted to the state of anthropology, to the state of sociology, and to the state of of, uh, of cognitive neuroscience. Like we just don't have a view of human nature that's pro-human. We have an anti-human uh, uh, view of human nature. And this is why when the police have this pressure put on them, it's not just um, people of color that are, are getting it bad right now in these protests. I mean, like that 75-year-old man was a white dude. There's a reason why these people are, you know, we're seeing, you know, young women being shot in the face with rubber bullets and losing their eyes. This kind of stuff extends out to everybody because when you behave, quote-unquote, lawlessly, your humanity needs to be kept in check. That's the cultural stream that's running underneath this deep cavern of our criminal justice system it is what carved it out over all this time and it explains the shape of it and if we want to fix it we have to get at the roots of what it is culturally and begin making changes that are based in evidence that are pro-human and that can create a new shape that helps people thrive instead
2: Absolutely. And I think I think it is notable, though, that this this uh, this Puritan cruelty that's kind of baked into this system is also a vector for a lot of, of more racist, uh, overtly racist approaches, because there are many, uh, many police right now, um, you know, quote the Bard. Some of those who work forces are the same who, in fact, burn crosses. And I think a lot of that happened because um these environments are appealing to that kind of person and kind of nobody else, uh, to kind of get back to something I had said a little bit earlier, where I regard this as kind of a systemic failure of this, this white American, uh, ivory tower liberalism is that, um, well, like there are better, we all have better things to do than be cops. And so, uh, who's going to do that? You know, it's, it's kind of the, like right now that's the popular framing on the internet is that, well, they're school bully types, they're dropouts, they're burnouts. And it's like, man, that, uh, it's kind of a shitty thing to like, we're, we're only uh, encouraging people like that to do this job or this job appeals to people like that and nobody else like that. Um, that speaks to a broader uh, systemic failure. Absolutely. But uh, it's a big part of why you see um, all of this just uh, like racial profiling, this racial vitriol, like this is a way for them to legitimize that. Uh, and many of them don't even see it. I think a lot of these uh, because of what James was talking about here, like it's racist behavior. Absolutely. They probably don't understand it as racist because they have a puritanistic mindset that has them uh, right. viewing their their fellow uh Humans like this.
0: Exactly. That's my point is that that's what makes it so hard to root out. Because if you ask a lot of these people directly, they will swear up and down that they're not racist. Right now, some of them are actually overtly racist. I mean, we've seen KKK members who are cops by day. I mean, this is a a classic trope for a reason. This has been an ongoing problem for decades and decades. Right. Right. Um, But that being said, the greater number of them will still behave in ways that are racist in effect, racist in outcome but not consciously engage in it. and It's not because of, I mean, there's there's problems with what we've called implicit bias. It's it's kind of a dubious thing, unfortunately. But what I think is actually true about that that it was getting at is that people are behaving in ways that seem to map perf- perfectly onto racism because they've kind of taken on these cultural uh, technologies, these ways of thinking about their fellow human being, and it's causing them to treat certain people Uh, with more suspicion and more violence uh, than others. And that is not an accident. That is a racist cultural trope that is manifesting through these institutions and through these people. Uh, but it's, it, what's so terrifying is that it doesn't require you to personally, consciously swear a racist creed in order to behave that way. And that's what people need to understand is that these things are not even the result of personal animus. It can be, but it's not necessarily the case. It is because of something that's deep. And that's, that's what we mean or what we should mean if we are are informed on the subjects, that's what we mean when we say systemic or systematic. We're talking about things that are deeply embedded in the uh, the way that we structure our society and the way that we do policing
1: there's There's also at least from there's a police officer that I know I wouldn't say I know him particularly well, but he's friend of friend of a friend sort of thing. And he was he's been a part of the police department for, I want to say, probably 25, maybe 30 years, something along those lines. And one of the things that I've heard him talk about, not currently, I haven't talked to the guy in quite some time. But one of the interesting things I think I've heard him talk about is the shift in the way that police officers are currently being trained, which I think kind of to the point you two are both talking about right now in that there isn't this conscious choice to dehumanize people, and there isn't this conscious choice to dehumanize black people, but that is still happening nonetheless, and that it is creating this uh, this system of racial injustice. He's talked about, at one point, there was this idea of protect and serve. Now, this could also be a guy just remembering the quote-unquote good old days or whatever, but that the younger and younger guys that he sees coming in consistently have a far more us versus them mindset. And that us versus them mindset is, again, whoever the out group is at that time. And so it's not a conscious choice to go be racist, but it is a a decision of everybody around you looks like the villain. Everybody around you is always seen as that guy could have a knife. That guy could have drugs. That guy might be going to rape someone after this or kill someone after this. And so that being ingrained in you over and over and over again starts to lead to these situations where people are over police or excessively or excessive forces used partially out of Perhaps maybe some sort of power trip. I don't know that that's entirely fair to say that that's purely what it is. But also, I think in this other portion of it, that is about going. You were taught to fear for your life as a police officer from day one in training because everybody else out there is inherently bad. Everybody. And when I say everyone, we are obviously talking mostly about people of color, people in minority groups. Mostly, they're taught that those people are bad, that they are out to get you, that they are doing something behind closed doors. And that kind of mentality, I think, is one of the biggest things that has to change. We need to start trying to shift this into a situation of you should be out in your community as a police officer out in your community, participating in it, not just out to police your community, not just out to prove you can do whatever you want or that you have to do this thing. Otherwise the community will fall apart without you. I think that if we can start finding a place, a balance of that sort of thing, that that's at least a step in the right direction. It's obviously not everything. It's so little of what needs to happen. But I do think that if we can shift that idea into protecting and serving your community, again, it's not just protecting, it's also serving your community, being a part of it. If we can shift back into that, I think that's a that's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. And there are two things you hit on there, Hans, that I really want to
2: hit fairly hard here, because I think those are excellent springboards for a couple things I think really got us here. Um, the first of which, and this is the less complex of the two, is that uh, you had mentioned some of the training. Uh, it kind of mm-hmm. blows me away just how untrained uh, a lot of our law enforcement officers are for Virtually any situation, honestly, it's breathtaking. Uh, I mean, here you have people who are out there responding to stressful situations in ways that are kind of gobsmacking to me as somebody who uh, went through military training. When I was um, in AIT, we ran a lot of of lanes where we did like uh, TCPs or traffic control points. Uh, and that's a kind of situation where like let's say you're on guard duty you know in the military, uh, you're guarding a base somewhere, you're at a traffic control point where vehicles enter and exit the base. and for, for TCP training, if there is a let's say there's a truck barreling down on you, like that truck is just barreling straight at your uh, at your point. Uh, you can't just straight up shoot the driver. You uh, you have to fire first to warn, second to disable the vehicle and then lastly to kill the driver and if you get that out of sequence then you uh like you don't just get a slap on the wrist for it like you are you're you're fucked like you that <laughs> that's a major violation um the way we are taught uh the way you're taught in the military to engage with escalation of force and how to um handle a situation where uh there's even somebody aggressively coming at you uh, it feels like uh, there is more grace given, uh, to combatants in a war zone than there is to people on the streets of America right now. And that is terrifying, absolutely terrifying to me that for whatever reason, um, everything I was ever taught about escalation of force just does not apply to, uh, the police, or if it does apply to them, um, it it just doesn't seem to, uh, ever be punished when they cross those lines. I think a lot about that video of Tamir Rice. Um, you know, he was murdered. Uh, here, Here's this little boy playing with, you know, a toy gun in the park. But like, you can't really see that's what he's got on the camera. And in the video, uh, you know, like this officer drives up out of his car, hops out immediately and fires like it's it's all instantaneously. Like th- th- there is no um, no escalation of force here. He is not doing anything like it's obviously a child jumps out of the car, immediately pops off a shot, you know, like just kills him. That's horrific that he didn't even gauge. Like, I don't I don't give a shit that you think this person has a gun. This obvious child, you think they have a gun like that. You can do that to an, an American citizen and get away with it is unacceptable, period. And to watch people defend that. And I've had multiple arguments over the years uh, with people about that same video defending that, saying, well, he thought he had a gun. No excuse. As somebody who wore a uniform, no excuse, because um, to kind of tie into that second point, Hans, um, that protect and serve. I think we have a culture of entitlement now that's kind of affected a lot of uniform service, less so the military, but definitely with the police where like, look, hey, I get it. It's a tough, thankless job, or it's supposed to be, and um, there's a lot of stresses. I don't want to say those stresses aren't real. I, I, I do think that when you put on a uniform, you and swear an oath to protect and serve, you are becoming a part of something bigger than yourself, and that you're not doing it to get like a discount at like fucking Arby's or whatever. You're not doing it so that you know, like. Everybody at the community center will clap when you walk into the room. You're doing it because you ostensibly believe it's the right thing to do. At least I would hope so. And I think we have a lot of people who aren't doing it for that reason. Um, there's this sense that, you know, oh, man, like you don't respect me because I'm wearing this uniform. Well, you know, I'll teach you. And and that's really a, a major, major problem because you should be picking up that badge to serve people, not the other way around. And um this lack of community service, this lack of interest, like, everybody's treated like a combatant, everybody's treated like an enemy, everybody's, uh, especially marginalized groups, especially black Americans, are treated um, as as enemies constantly, and then... Um, there's this sense of entitlement on top of that where you can't dare criticize them. You can't dare criticize these actions because then you, you ungrateful son of a bitch, you don't respect the police. Look at all they give up for you. And I mean, right. honestly, fuck that. Fuck. And that. it's like
0: that, the whole idea of like the thin blue line is exactly what I was talking about with that, that civilizing force that it's the police that are this bastion of civilization. They are the separating, uh, threshold between utter chaos and and all the wonderful things that we enjoy as Americans. You know what, that's not true. How order emerges in a society is a very complicated process. And it is a function of social norms, it is a function of political stability, it is a function of having access to material resources, including wealth, it is a function of a uh, cultural aggregate, it is not the function of one institution with a bunch of assholes wearing a uniform that if they stop killing innocent children, that everything will fall apart. No, that's not true. As a matter of fact, they are unleashing lawlessness because they have no accountability when they do this, which is why right. people are mad and why they're rioting. The lawlessness that we are seeing is primarily on the part of these institutions because we have allowed them to develop safeguards, immunities, including qualified immunity. Right. That's uh, what I was
1: just about. That's yes. what I wanted to get into here shortly. So that's one of the big that's that's one of the big points at the moment in the Democrats new bill getting into a bit into the political side of this one. The one of the key sticking points already all over the headline is the removal of qualified immunity. And for those listening, qualified immunity is the process through which Uh, Civil lawsuits cannot be brought against uniformed officers. Um, I guess not uniformed officers, I suppose. Honestly, not being a lawyer, I'm not going to pretend that I know whether they have to be uniformed at the time or anything like that. But nonetheless, you cannot bring a civil lawsuit against a specific police officer. And so part of this police reform bill is removing qualified immunity from police officers Of course, right away, what's the first thing we have? We have Republicans going, well, now they have to risk their lives for they have to worry about whether they can risk their lives or not. And yet, without qualified immunity, they may get sued for risking their life and doing something, blah, blah, blah. That feels very much like a tactic. We already know that the Republicans are currently writing a bill as well, their own Police reform bill, and they are already playing politics in a situation like this. And I think it's just downright despicable. I already am not a big fan of really, particularly, either political party. I think I've made that fairly clear at this point. And I, do, I like to divorce the idea of liberalism and conservatism from the parties that they respectively belong to at the moment. But one of the big reasons I absolutely hate them is. We are in a situation right now where we are seeing true, true radical protest around the world, not just here in America, but in other countries as well, taking up this same mantle. And the Republicans have the balls to play politics right now and already try and posture against the bill and start trying to point out to things like qualified immunity immediately just says neither side – I can't say neither side, but the Republicans don't understand what is actually happening here. The removal of qualified immunity, to me anyways, shows that we might actually be in a position where police officers can now be held accountable for the things that they choose to do, that if you want to, if you need to fire your weapon at someone, there needs to be a reason to do so. You can't fire your weapon at a moving car anymore just because, oh, if I don't, he might get away. Who cares if he gets away? You don't know who else is in that car. You don't know what else is going on. You don't know who's on the other side of that car when firing that weapon. I think I think the removal of qualified immunity, at least in my eyes, I think is an important step. I think it's huge. I'm not going to say I agree 100% with everything I currently know about the Democrats' bill, but I think that right now, even though in the past, the Democrats have had a problem about passing law enforcement bills specifically because of the weird moderate portion of them who goes, well, I don't know how I'm going to sell this to my constituents, blah, blah, blah. And so things don't get passed. As of now, we're seeing no one in the Democratic Party really is trying to stand in the way of this bill. So at the very least... I do hope that we can get qualified immunity as another step removed. Um, I I don't know about you two. I mean, is there what else would you two like to see? Uh, Is there what else do you all think would be truly could create real reform within the police right now?
2: So I think there's a few things on my wish list. But uh, before I get too deep into that, I would like to kind of um, go on. Not so much a tangent, but um, talk a little bit about this Republican Democrat uh, dynamic right now because while well, I think we're going to affect more change through leveraging the Democrats, I mean, obviously lever- leveraging everybody's mm-hmm. important, putting pressure on all of these politicians is important right, right. now. And more right. than that, because you know what, like right now, the real action is out there on the streets. The people who are, um, you know, keeping the fires hot, um, out in these protests, you know, keeping the pressure on that is what's driving the real train change here. Um, like cause you know, voting matters, But voting doesn't do everything. It's a government uh, ostensibly, you know, for the people, by the people. And that means we're a part of enacting change, too. Your voice matters. Your protest matters. You have a fundamental right to demonstrate, to get out there, to get in their faces, and to demand something better. And I think keeping that pressure on is important largely because, well, we're more likely to see some of this legislation come through the Democrats. We definitely can't count on the Democrats, not just left to their own devices, because they are the origin point for a lot of shitty policy themselves. There is like obviously the crime bill um, that a particular um, presidential candidate uh, was heavily involved mm-hmm. in. Uh, like Joe Biden's name um on a like the, the militarization of the police you know a lot of this happened uh under right. Biden even under Obama uh the ramp up and all this stuff like oh hey the cops have mraps now for whatever reason that's fun you know mm-hmm. like that we can thank the democrats <laughs> for that um uh-huh. and even now there is uh in certain uh circles uh, up to and including from Joe Biden himself this uh emphasis on like well what if we give them more money for training and it's like ah yes the people who are shooting Everybody in the face, Mm -hmm. let's give them more money. The training will definitely cool that right down. I mean, look, I I don't want to uh, besmirch any conscientious effort to do good, even if it's from a place of ignorance or or not understanding. But I will say that we can't just like, oh, we just elect Democrats and they'll fix this. No, they won't. We we will elect politicians who represent us and then pressure them to represent us right and keeping that um keeping that heat on matters a lot right now now in terms of my wish list um like I don't wanna go too crazy here and i sh- I'm sure James has some stuff himself, so I think for my part um definitely um Eliminating police unions is high on the list. I'm a very pro-union guy. Uh, I, I believe that unions are important for representing workers in uh, in a lot of environments. But um, kind of in terms of that qualified immunity, one of the things unions do is you know they they go to bat for you when you're fired or when you're let go. And right now, they the police unions play a massive part in kind of laundering this uh, the system, like. Cop crosses the line in one neighborhood, gets fired, gets rehired in the next neighborhood because, you know, there's not, like, he's not blacklisted or anything, you know, like he's still... Or in some cases, the same same precinct under the same police chief. Sometimes there was a guy who um, shot somebody, uh, was fired, and then rehired by the uh, same department just so he could get his pension under the argument from the union that, well, he had PTSD now because he shot this guy, and so uh, he... Like he needed that that pension or whatever to, to get by. And, like, look, hey, um, that's... No, we, can, we can't keep letting that happen. We just can't. So the police unions, uh, for me, they've got to go. Uh, and I also think that uh, shifting the role of the police more into community service, uh, away from some of the, like, just showing up for all this petty crime stuff that they don't need to, where they are actively incentivized to... Uh, abuse their authority like any one of those situations we can eliminate is good so like hey you know what like a a lot of this a lot of this shit we can just kind of throw out we can have other community services do that and i'd like to see that money reinvested in the the neighborhoods themselves where um again like you raise that economic floor uh you get people out of poverty and suddenly hey people are less desperate oh magically there's less crime
0: Yeah, I think one of the things I would want to eliminate uh, immediately is this gamification of uh, policing, because we see this with quotas. We see this uh, with the internal police uh, culture, even Uh, this is something that um, I've seen multiple threads and articles about popping up recently, talking about the way that uh, you can start out as a police officer. And this is to your point earlier, Ben, about, you know, uh, the problem with trying to infiltrate the police. Uh, has been that like you are swimming upstream and we do need to change though the way the the direction of the water is flowing um, because it's hard to resist these kinds of shaping influences on behavior. If you have to get X number of arrests, if you have to uh, write X number of tickets, if you are expected to treat people with a gram of weed, who may not have a lawyer to call, you know, and who almost overwhelmingly are going to fit a particular profile in a certain way in order to look good to your superiors, well, then that's what you're going to do. Those things need to go away. Uh, A successful police department should be a a police department that doesn't have to make arrests. We need to change the incentives fundamentally. Uh, And this goes back to that philosophical uh, presumption that chaos is unfurling all the time. And if it were not for the police um, actively putting their their foot down, then it would just be completely unchecked. And that's not really true because, uh, Ben, to your point, you know um in places where poverty doesn't reign supreme and they have material resources they have uh economic security they have educational uh attainment uh they have more options in their life you're not seeing rampant violent crime and you are seeing some crime yes but it's rare enough because there really isn't an incentive on the part of the people to rock the boat. Like you don't want to create instability in your community if it's the thing that allows you to, I don't know, climb the ladder, um, find a mate, um, own a home, have all the things that make you happy. Uh, a well-structured community does that for you. And it, it, that is mainly coming from what? From material wealth. So a, a police department can't replace the role that access to resources has. So that's un- underlining your other point there, Ben. But when it comes to the way that things are gamified and incentivized for police behavior, this idea that you should be walking around looking for crime is, is absurd because when all you have is a hammer, everything's a nail. You're going to be looking for these things. You will end up even inventing scenarios to fulfill your objective because that's Mm -hmm. the way you've been trained. And what we need to do is instead create a model of policing that is based on looking at the community as being when it's well-funded and it is functioning like any American community should – that it is a fundamentally self-stabilizing thing, that there's a social structure there that you shouldn't be fucking with. You don't need to go around causing your own chaos because police are chaos agents in the current conception. People live in fear of the police. You should feel comfort when police enter your, your neighborhood. When a cop car drives by in the middle of the night, you should feel like, thank God they're there, right? Because they're looking out for you. And a way to do that is to change their mission objective from look for crime to basically stay on guard. So looking for ways to be proactive, yes, but to be more preventative, looking at ways that you can connect people with resources, right? Basically stopping crime before it starts. It's kind of like the way that our our, uh, medical system is geared towards treatment rather than prevention, right? We are spending all this money Uh, trying to stop problems after they've been created. That would be a lot cheaper to solve if we had invested in people's health through nutrition and exercise and environmental factors well before they got sick. And it's the same thing with crime. If people are going to be desperate enough to, say, go rob a gas station, it should be the part, it should be maybe even the fundamental mission of the police to start looking at their communities as like a puzzle to be solved. How can we stop that kid from walking into the gas station with a gun in the first place, whether it's helping to connect the kid with counseling, helping to, you know, talk to the parents and making sure that the kid is in school, whatever it is that they're supposed to do. And theoretically, police do these things, but they're taking on these roles that they're not trained for. So the police should be almost like ref- like a referral organization. We're going to refer you to somebody else who is an expert who can do that—a mental health expert, a substance abuse expert, uh, and a, uh, a school counselor. Whatever it is that they that person needs, the police and as in their role as guardians, they're to serve and protect. Shouldn't be thinking in terms of how can I apply force to the situation. They should be thinking about how can I apply healing and connection. To this situation. And that's a total reversal of this current conception of the way that crime arises, that people need to be afraid in order for crime to stop. And as we've seen, that just isn't true. The places where people are most afraid are the places where crime continues to occur. It actually has an inverse relationship. You create a hostility between the people and the police, which is part of the reason why people even form gangs because you don't trust the police to look out for you. So you start creating your own self protection, right? Which then leads to more violence. It's a cycle. They can stop that cycle if they focus on a more healing role, a more social role, a pro social role that. Uh, gets out of the way of the community healthily functioning and just helps kind of course correct it when necessary, but without using force, except when they absolutely have no other choice. So
1: there's kind of, there's a bit of two things here. One, you were talking before, James, about the gamification of the police force. And I think that that problem is even larger than just the gamification of the police force itself. It is also... Unfortunately, present inside of a privatized prison system as well. People make money by incarcerating people, which, again, that trickling down starts to go, well, we need to put people in these beds in order to make money. So now we're going to throw money at police officers and unions and things like that in order to get police out there arresting more people. And unfortunately, This just continues to move down the system until police chiefs, police, everyone involved is now far more incentivized to arrest people. Again, to your point about creating crimes that aren't really there, because this way there are beds being filled. This prison, whoever owns this prison, is making money off of it, which I think we we already know of cases where this happened. There was the judge, I believe he was in Texas. I don't quote me that he was in Texas, but there was the judge who it turns out for 20 years had been intentionally sending minors to prison because he was getting a kickback on every single not prison but to juvenile hall because he was getting a kickback on every single kid he sent out there. Basically every kid's life he ruined, he got a kickback for it. This kind of corruption as well also needs to go away. I, I think, and how you get rid of that corruption is by we need to eliminate the privatization of prisons. We need to stop the prison-industrial complex. It's it's a major problem that unfortunately is still pervasive even now.
2: Well, it's kind of, uh, build on that, Hans, um, it's definitely worth checking out 13th on Netflix uh, by uh, Ava DuVernay. It's a documentary film that is about uh, essentially this problem with our prisons, uh, like you were talking about, in, in in a way, they have kind of become this uh, substitute for the institution of slavery itself. Um, it, it's, it's this really ugly so- system that we've built, and privatization uh, has absolutely been a major, major driving force for that. Uh, I know right now there are some people who are even putting forth privatization as a, um, you know, as a solution to some of our policing problems. And that is just, that's, that should horrify you because the last thing we need is, is less accountability. You know, like the last thing we need is, is these uh, private agencies operating, um, you know, kind of under their own supervision with, with very little outside force, uh, like mercenaries, uh, like, no, we absolutely do not need that in any of our communities. And, um, I think uh, from the, the prison industry, which I mean, there's a combination of words that really should just stick in your gut. But from the prison yes. industry to um, even the socioeconomic system behind it, wherein I mean, the way we we treat people in our society, um, marginalized groups are kept in poverty, and th- they, they in turn are preyed upon more by this criminal justice system, and it is just uh, th- this rancid. Uh, rancid mess that we have. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all connected. Like, there's not a silver bullet answer here. I mean, um, I do feel that uh, enacting economic justice across the board is the fastest yes. way to get to uh, racial justice, which we desperately, desperately need. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there are a lot of tiles on this board.
0: Reparations isn't important because it undoes the past, because nothing can undo the past, Right. The reason why reparations is important is because it sets a foundation for the future for the black community by giving them an inheritance as Americans. It's part of, in my view, you're marrying two things. You're marrying reparations and universal basic income. So that way you can create a fundamental equity stake for every American citizen, but especially the black Americans who are descended from slaves, who were systematically and deliberately robbed not only in slavery, but after. So you need something to set them up to have generational wealth. They need to have capital because capital is power, it's leverage. And that will enable the market to then actually function the way it is supposed to function. I mean, these are things that the black community has been trying to fix for themselves since they've been able to autonomously do anything. I mean, there's a reason why Black Wall Street was destroyed in Oklahoma. That, if it had continued to flourish, we might not be having this conversation because they – if you, if you dip your toe into black Twitter, if you're a white person, you want to know what it is that your black neighbors want. They want what anybody wants. They want their kids to prosper. They, they want to be able to start and op- own their own businesses. They want to be able to pass on wealth to future generations. They want the goddamn American dream. They want what we all want. And the fastest way that we can stop this cycle from happening is to give them that capital. Because they are goddamn well owed that capital. They have worked for it time and time again. And so that would go a long way. It's not a handout and it's not a band aid. Money really is power. And if we want to solve these problems long term, it's not enough to just write a new set of laws that will be ignored. This is going back to a point that you were making very eloquently at the beginning of this, Ben, is that the reason why just writing more laws won't work is because in order to make those laws actually enforceable, you need leverage. You need the ability to stand up and put your thumb on the scale and have it mean something. The way to do that is to have material resources. It really is the crux of the entire thing. Economic justice is at the core of this problem. Racial wealth inequality is uh, continuing to grow and it is just going to get worse as a result of this pandemic. I, I saw an article today that now about half of Black America is unemployed right now. Half. That is incredible. Insane. And especially right now with the, th- the way the things are, I mean, God, as we were discussing, it's these places where Black people can't afford representation Legal representation can't afford bail. Those are the places where then poverty is getting further entrenched because police are preying on them. And these things are all tied together. If they had money, they would be able to push back even more effectively than they are right now. As it is, they have limited options. So we shouldn't be surprised that things have uh, escalated to the point that they are now. Honestly, if you're a white American and you feel a little bit scared because of the way that black people have been behaving, you should be thanking them for their restraint. Let me say that as bluntly as I can, because they have every right to be furious at the way that they have been robbed of their inheritance as an American citizen. They deserve better. We all do in this society, but them especially. And it's high time that we do something meaningful and material about it.
2: Absolutely. Black Americans built this country and it's damn well time they got a paycheck for it. And I think that uh, there's a lot of talk lately, you know, uh, about um, kind of the nature of our country. Are we good? Is America good? Can it even be good? and i think it can if we keep our promises i think it can if we live up to this ideal that we set out for ourselves because yeah there are a lot of a lot of flaws in the foundation of this country there is some rot in the structure but i think at its core that uh, that premise of liberty and justice for all is and should be sacred and the greatest problem in america is not living up to that And I think if we want to become uh, the very best we can be, if we want to really build something here that works for everybody, we have to keep that promise. And so long as not all Americans are free and equal, so long as not all people um, within and around our country are safe and secure, that promise of liberty is unkept. That promise of freedom is broken. And uh, to really turn things around, uh, we have to
1: rectify that. That's the only path forward. I mean, w- well said, Ben. I-, I don't think there's much else, much else I could really add to that. I I couldn't agree more. I do think, though, one thing a bit tangy here worth worth bringing up in connection to all of this. I think we also part of that path forward. Again, we've talked about. Just electing Democrats isn't going to suddenly solve these problems. We need to continue to put pressure on everybody. However, our current leader is only making things worse. And I put some pretty heavy quotes when I say leader there around that word. The biggest thing we talked, we touched briefly on it. Martin Gugino out in Buffalo, 75 year old man pushed down, bleeding Buffalo, a bunch of the people on the emergency response team there all quit in solidarity with the two police that were suspended or the police officers who were suspended. I don't know if it was two or more, but, and what does our president do? Just tweets more fuel on that fire. He accuses a 75 year old man of clearly being an Antifa provocateur and attempting to scan police frequencies. We're listening to someone justify the abuse of an elderly man here and not just doing that on some closed behind closed doors or in some sort of recording. No, that would require some sort of tact. That would require some sort of elegance in what you have to say. No, in public plain view, and it's not like this is the only tweet. This is just the one here where I've been hearing... Ben, you and I talked about this a few days ago about, man, this feels like the bottom of the barrel for his Twitter feed. This feels like the worst possible part of this. But I say... It's unfortunately probably not, because three years ago we were saying the exact same thing. Every time a new tweet came out, we went, This has gotta be the bottom uh, of the barrel. It can't true. get worse than this. But here we are three years later, and it is still not the bottom of the barrel. And there's no bottom. It, it, he just he busts the, out an auger every time, just starts drilling. Right. Absolutely absolutely he's going to dig himself a hole he he's going to dig himself a hole to the center of the earth at this rate but nonetheless i think that a part of that those steps forward are absolutely getting competent leadership in competent leadership that truly understands the need for economic justice and racial justice for everyone in this country particularly for those that have been oppressed and right now this leadership will never make that happen. Well uh, right now this yeah. leadership will only ever make this worse. And I think
2: they're they're also connected because there's an accountability there. Um like the reason our our leaders and the people who in uniform are accountable is because they're supposed to set some kind of example. Like, I know I've seen a lot of people wringing their hands about the breakdown of rule of law, like it's chaos in America, there's riots, do you want this? This is why we need cops. It's like this happened because uh the rule of law was uh, was violated. Yes. And that was done by our leaders. That was done by our, our police. Um, if mm-hmm. the, the breakdown of law and order troubles you, you should be more upset at the abuse of power that led to a backlash than you are at any number of riots, because there's nothing more American than a protest. Hey, look, like I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, you know, like I, I don't care whose business get, gets burned or anything like that. I mean, if it were up to me, none of that would happen. But you know what? It's, it's not up to me. And um, when I look at this whole board, you know what I'm mad about is that breakdown uh, of trust um, on the part of the people who were meant, who are sworn to uphold a public trust. Um, Because when you put on a uniform, your actions reflect on every single person who wears that uniform. That's the way uniforms work. And I don't know if that's something they just don't cover when they they train the police. I don't know if that's something that we've conveniently forgotten because of these political battle lines. But I know when I was in the army, that's something that they definitely beat into our heads in basic training. What you do matters, because what you do reflects on all of us. And um, I look out at these situations, like, I know even just as as a fairly comfortable just white guy living, kind of drifting through all of this, this chaos, um, I don't trust them anymore. I can't. For years now, as this has kind of unfolded, as we've seen murder after murder go by consequence-free, Every time I drive by and I see um, somebody pulled over, I I have to ask myself, should I be recording this? Do I need to pull over, too? Uh, Because that public trust has been violated. That sacred public trust has been broken by the people sworn to uphold it. So if the, the rule of law is important to you, then the president's actions should bother you. Then the, the actions of the police should bother you. And those things should bother you more than any amount of bricks through windows than any amount of, uh, buildings set on fire, because that's what the epicenter of this crisis is. That's that's patient zero is these institutions and their violation of that sacred trust.
0: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'd like to remind everybody uh, if you are somebody who feels that you know, law and order here is uh, in, per- in peril of being destroyed or some such you know concern, that um, the government, the police, all these things that we give authority over us, they derive their authority from the consent of the governed, from us. And if people are pushing back, it's not because uh, there's something wrong with the people. It's because there's something wrong with the authority. The authority was created by us, and we can damn well uncreate it if we want to. And that is why people have not been pulling their punches when it comes to branding, like Defund the Police, because they're angry. And if you feel like maybe that's going too far, and like, I, look, I don't think it's going too far. I just think it could be better branded, but I don't disagree with it because they're right because the trust has been broken. They are right to feel the way that they feel. These institutions do need to be completely rethought and restructured. And this does not mean anarchy. This does not mean that we're not gonna have a government. We need a government. We need law enforcement. We need a criminal justice system that actually provides justice. But in order to get those things, we need to have a reckoning with the way they are currently functioning, which is to the benefit of a few Versus the way that they could and maybe, you know, actually will function if we keep putting on the pressure. This is a a moment that uh, because, I mean, people are, are feeling this stress. I mean, it's like we were saying at the, at the top of this episode. We're all feeling it. And I think. This is just one of those powder keg moments. They they chose to light a match while the room was full of natural gas and it just exploded. They should not have been surprised that just one more innocent black man, and it doesn't even matter if he was innocent or not. You know, he's, he's presumed innocent as we all are, but it doesn't matter if somebody is killed and they quote, had it coming. The police should not be killing American citizens. They shouldn't be killing anybody. And... When you do that in a situation in which everybody is already feeling a break of trust in their institutions because of how they handled, in air quotes, this pandemic, well, we shouldn't be surprised that people take to the streets because they are sick and tired of being lied to, of being mistreated. And, you know, guys, I have to say, based on how things are going, compared to a couple of weeks ago when we first recorded our take of this, I'm actually feeling kind of happy. I'm feeling happy with the way that things are going because I'm seeing conversations that I didn't think were going to happen in a long time. And I I am thrilled to see that like, you know, Minneapolis is, you know, in the process of probably completely starting its police force over from scratch. And uh, God, I hope they do uh, because that would, that would set a great precedent and it's not the first place in America to have done it, but it would be a major city looking at what happened being like, you know what, this needs to change at a fundamental level and actually doing something about it. And God damn, it's about time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, coming toward, coming toward the end of the end of all of this and kind of where, where at least I kind of land on it. I think I am both worried, but happy about where where we're going and what the future holds for us i'm concerned that there will be constant effort to undermine and unfortunately in the past those efforts to undermine have prevailed i know that right now though one of the key differences is just how angry everyone is and just how fired up and just how many people are truly getting involved in in this whole issue at this point around police brutality. So I'm I'm happy to see that. And I guess ultimately I hope that we see a brighter tomorrow out of it. I, I can't say that I hope. I feel like we will. I, I truly think that there is massive change on the horizon here. And that all I can say to anyone listening, please get involved in any way that you can follow your local black lives matters chapters, donate to the bail project, anything that you can do to get out there. And you know what, if you can't donate or it's, it's a little too much on your mind to follow and be too entrenched in this, that's okay too. But if you have the energy or you have the time or you have the money, please, please get involved in any way that you can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, like I said earlier in the episode, this is a point in time, uh, Uh, The phrase, the new normal, was already being tossed around like during uh, the coronavirus, uh, the the earlier phases of the coronavirus. But here we are now where there's no going back. 2020 is going to be one for the books. This is a big year. There are big changes here, and we have to keep stoking those fires. We have to keep pushing forward for real change, and that's going to involve, you know, do what you can, if you can't get out there and demonstrate then donate if 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 you can say something then say something use the power that you've got uh, afforded to you and and try to do the good that you can Um, it's because it's vital right now that we keep pushing for that better world better things are possible and we can achieve them but not if we just roll over and accept the scraps we're thrown. Not if we just uh, accept the concessions. We have to demand better. And uh, it's our right to do so. It's your right to do so. Especially um, those of you uh, who have been actively oppressed for your whole lives by this system. The whole world is watching right now. The whole world is marching with you right now. Uh, Where it's not just America. These demonstrations are happening in Europe. These demonstrations are happening everywhere. Um, And when all eyes are here, this is kind of a a trial balloon uh, moment here. What we build out of this is probably going to affect the shape of the whole planet. And that matters more than anything else right now. It really does. And so this is a vital point in time. And anything you can do, uh, just think about where you want to tell your kids where you were when all of this went down, because this is going to be uh, taught for for centuries. This is a pivotal year Mm -hmm. for the human race, not just America, uh, but especially here in America right now. And uh, don't let go of that even for a moment.
0: Yep. Couldn't agree more, man. All right, Hans, you want to take us out?
1: yep um are we doing plugs or are we just uh are we just taking taking it out this time if
0: you got anything to plug I and mean, we can do that but i figured not really I, yeah i, I, just, I figured yeah. we would just focus already, on the topic on this one so yep i
1: already already got in the part that i want black
0: lives matters bail project so yeah. you know okay all right in that case i'm hans i'm ben and i'm james we're not experts just normal people